everyone to the Becker's June Spine Orthopedic and ASC virtual event. I'm Brian Zerman, and today I'm joined by the distinguished Dr. Mary O'Connor, who's the co-founder and chief medical officer of Vori Health. She's the chair, Movement is Life, Professor Emeretta of Orthopedics, Mayo Clinic, past professor of orthopedics and rehabilitation with Yale School of Medicine, and the past director for the Center for Muscle Skeletal Care, Yale School of Medicine, and Yale New Haven Health. Dr. O'Connor, thanks so much for being here. Brian, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so to begin here, can you tell our audience more about yourself and how your career has evolved and, and maybe what you're working on now? Well, I have been basically in academic medicine my entire career until this February uh, when I left academic medicine to co-found this startup, Vori Health. And, um, and the, the reason why I did that is because I really believe passionately that we need to focus on the way we're delivering care to patients, MSK patients, in a more integrated and holistic way. And that um, surgeons don't need to see all the patients, that non-operative care can be delivered by other skilled healthcare providers. And the surgeons move, you know, move further along the care continuum where their skills are really needed. So um, that's really the premise of what we're doing with the new company with Vori Health is in the virtual space, can we, how do we surround patients with more holistic care using the biopsychosocial model. So patients have a health coach, a non-surgeon physician, a physiatrist, a nurse practitioner or PA, a physical therapist, a nutritionist. And when we surround them uh, with that team in the virtual space, you know, how can we really drive uh, great clinical outcomes? And of course, being sensitive to the cost of healthcare because you know, the costs keep going up. As we all know, this is an issue for patients with and families with higher out-of-pocket deductibles, higher premiums, medical bankruptcy is a real issue. So it's really understanding how we can change the, evolve the system, right? Mm -hmm. To be more patient-centered, more outcome-driven, and hopefully and, and drive value too. Yeah, yeah, so that, that really brings me to my next question where you sort of already started to lay it out a bit there's this desire to deliver uh, this holistic care and drive value for patients as well. So can you talk more about, you know, what drove you to make that decision to leave academic medicine and found Vori Health? And what has that whole experience, that transition been like for you? Well, it's very exciting and it's a lot of fun. And it's definitely, you know, a professional growth opportunity for me because I've never done anything like this before. Um, I have a great co-founder, great co-founders, and our CEO uh, is a neurosurgeon, a physician named Ryan Grant. And he and I actually met my first year at Yale was his last year there. And he has started other companies before. So he, he has the business uh, background experience to drive this. Um, what I realized is that, and I'm not the only one who's come to this realization, that our current healthcare system is um, so limited in what, they can, in what can be done because of our payment models. So even though people may wanna do something more innovative and more patient-centered, they're really held hostage by the fact that those services are not always reimbursed and the way that 
our system is driven financially right now is basically through surgical care, advanced imaging and procedures. And, and that's what floats the financial bottom line for our hospitals and our systems. And so there's this you know, push, this bias, because that's what drives the financial outcomes to support those services. And the data has been there for a while. I mean, we know that there's a certain percentage of spine surgeries and joint replacement surgeries, less so, but it's still there to some degree. Uh, that would be considered unnecessary or inappropriate. And we've seen this for years. I mean, you know, the development of the Spine Center at Virginia Mason. Now those models have advanced and Walmart, Lowe's, McKesson with their centers of excellence where they're sending patients to specific centers for evaluation and what drives that. The, and, and it costs them more to do that but it is financially favorable for them because it's a surgical avoidance um, program, right? Only the having another way of looking at, does this patient really need surgery? And so that speaks to, as a system, how well are we really following evidence-based guidelines and really following um, a, and determining, is this the right care for a given patient? Um, I like to say there's kind of three categories of patients broadly, right? the non-operative patient that everyone says, yep, that patient doesn't need surgery. And then the surgical category where everybody says, yep, they need surgery. And then all these patients in the middle where who you see, the kind of provider that you see is gonna strongly influence the care that you're provided and then ultimately you know, the potential outcome. So it's really working on how can we um, improve this opportunity for great non-operative care for patients, knowing that there's always gonna be a need for surgery. You know, we're not at Vori not recognizing that, we get that, but we see an opportunity uh, to provide better non-operative care to patients and also take into account, um, you know, behavioral health uh, changes that would benefit them through use of the health coach, nutrition, the things that we would love to provide in a traditional system, but the money's not there to do it. Yeah, so, so thinking about that middle swath of patients and how you improve that non-operative care and nutrition and stuff like that, that, that really, it makes me think about disparities, right? Disparities in care delivered um, and, and disparities in sort of the disorders that some, some folks face. So can you talk more about uh, the specific disparities in muscle skeletal disorders MSK care, um, and, and maybe like the, the, the big trends that are really driving these disparities in, in both care and the disorders. Yeah. So Brian, you know, that's like a personal passion of mine. Um, I chair Movement is Life, which is a national coalition of uh, stakeholders committed to decreasing MSK healthcare disparities. And basically what we know is the burden of osteoarthritis is higher for women than men, and it's higher in communities of color. And we also know that there's an interplay between the social determinants of health and how patients receive care and their risk of getting disparate care. So really it's, you know, it's, it's a very complicated issue. And I fundamentally believe that we have to 
look at how we're going to take wellness into communities and basically leave sick care for the healthcare system. Because fundamentally, we don't have a healthcare system because the country is not healthier. The country is sicker by every objective measure. We spend more on healthcare. We have an obesity epidemic. We have a lack of physical activity epidemic. Everyone's getting more sedentary, heavier, and, and less healthy. Rising rates of diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, depression. I mean, so, so by all objective measures, the current healthcare system has failed the population of this country because we are not healthier, we are sicker. So I see that we really need to embrace a different way of moving towards wellness. Part of that can be in the delivery of care where we're supporting patients as we are at Vori Health uh, with health coaches to help them understand how they can make the behavioral health changes that will improve their health. Because you know what? It's gonna improve and help them on their MSK journey as well. Um, the amount of overlap that we see between um, mental health scores, poor mental health scores on our PROMISE 10 data and poor physical global health scores is astonishing. It's like a direct overlay. So when we're not looking at the patient more holistically, we're really missing an opportunity to help them get better, faster, or stay better. So this is another aspect of where I think we really need to go in terms of, of transforming the delivery of care. Yeah, I think I'm just struck by thinking about that, just thinking about how many world-class institutions we have in this country, how many bright, brilliant medical minds we have, and how unhealthy we are. And I think if you look at, look at that, you can just it makes the case in and of itself that something's wrong, right? Something is off there. So um, I, I appreciate you laying that out. And then can you talk more about how the industry can perhaps address the, the, these disparities and why the work is so critical? Well, that's a really, that's like the quadrillion dollar question, Brian, right? Um, there's so much that we can do. It starts of course with access but it also starts with a commitment to improving our communities and really fundamentally addressing social determinants of health, which is beyond the scope of the orthopedic surgeon or the spine surgeon. I mean, how do I, as an individual surgeon, have the ability to go out and improve somebody's neighborhood, right? I, I can't do that. And so that's why we need to take a step back and look at this more from a system or societal perspective and say, you know, how are we going to go in and support communities to become healthier? And, and that means is that community gardens, is that we're going to have improved safety in neighborhoods so people can go out and walk? How are we going to address food deserts? You know, for a long time, until I got into this disparity work, I never even realized in my position of privilege, that there were neighborhoods where you couldn't go and buy fresh fruit and vegetables. Oh, and if you went to that grocery store, guess what? Those fresh fruit and vegetables cost more than at my grocery store in my neighborhood. I was like, how can that be? How can the same grocery chain sell the same product at a higher price in the low income neighborhood? 
that's wrong. It's like fundamentally wrong. But yet we see these things, ex- the, these situations exist. And so there's on multiple levels, we need to be looking at policies that help address these changes. More on the orthopedic and spine side, we see the issues about bundled payments. And there are some mixed results from research that has come out with a few studies not showing differences in terms of patients, but there are others that show that there is some cherry picking and lemon dropping that's occurring. And so this is something that I think that we just simply need to address head on and make some important decisions. We'll take BMI as a perfect example, right? Earlier in my career, we never had conversations about BMI cutoffs for patients with total joints. Just, I'm sure there were patients that were just so, you know, horribly, horribly obese and their medical risk was so great that we said, no, you're not a candidate. But now we see basically this systemic process where we're saying, if your BMI is over X, then we don't wanna offer you joint replacement surgery. We want you to lose weight first. Now, conceptually, I get it. And that's good. It's a good concept. But if that patient has no resources to support them on a weight loss journey, then we are not helping that patient. And therein lies the fundamental disconnect that the bundled payment programs are encouraging systems and surgeons to select patients who are healthier and at lower risk. And that's not fundamentally wrong. What is wrong is if the patients that we're saying, no, go get healthier, if we're not supporting them with resources so that they can do it. That's the problem. And that that makes total sense. I mean, just the idea of like, on its face, the idea of limiting somebody for BMI isn't isn't wrong, right? Um, But the idea of just you know, shutting the door then and be like, good luck, bye-bye, we'll see you later is just not gonna, not gonna work, not gonna cut it either, you know? Um, I think that's such an important point. Right, and so when you go and ask patients, it's, you know, like, do we think that these patients don't know they're obese? Right. Of course they know that. Have they been trying to lose weight? Almost all of them in my experience. Mm-hmm. And so they're struggling and they're struggling because of various conditions or factors in their life. And I, as an orthopedic surgeon, don't have the ability to go in and address those issues and concerns. Needs to be a much more um, diverse and inclusive team, health coach, social worker, et cetera, right? It's, it's It's complex, but if we don't start addressing it, we're just gonna be in a, a more challenging situation 10 years and 15 years and 20 years down the road when we're just gonna see even more obesity and more end-stage osteoarthritis and, and I, you know, patients that are sicker and sicker. So we have to start thinking of innovative solutions where we're moving health and wellness back into communities with a focus on how patients can become healthier in their communities and where the health care system is the sick care system which is what it is today. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it, not to get, I don't want to be too uh, hyperbolic, I guess, but like it can't go on like this, right? Like you can't have, 
continued rising rates of chronic illness, country that's getting sicker and sicker and costs just rising and rising, like something's got to give at some point, right? Well, one would hope so, but I don't know. And that's because in general, you know, the people that are making the decisions and the people that are in power are not the people suffering. Right. Right? Yep. And one thing that I hope that the pandemic taught all of us is that even if you're affluent and you're well off, you are still connected to your neighbor, right? Even the, you know, a wealthy uh, Caucasian male CEO could be exposed to COVID, could have gotten sick. Like we're all, somehow we have to get back to understanding that we're all connected and that the health of everyone in all our diverse communities matters to us globally and that we can't isolate ourselves in affluent neighborhoods. It's just, just not going to work. And it matters to all of us that we improve health for everyone. There's no, there's no us and them. It's just us. I hope that that's something that we've learned from this. There is no us versus them. There is just us. I, I think uh, it's such an important point and it's been a great conversation and we're coming to the close. So I want to just ask for any final thoughts or anything else you want to add about the, the work you're doing at Vori Health. Well, I'm very excited about it. Um, passionate about transforming the delivery of care to, to be more patient-centered, uh, value-driven, and really to focus on where we can go in the virtual space combined with some in-person and see what the future holds. So it's exciting. I'm enjoying it and um, looking forward to uh, tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to keeping track of the work you're doing. Dr. O'Connor, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Brian. You have a great day. Thanks, Thanks. to all the listeners.